para ti lo que viniera de ti. Welcome to the Inside the Journey podcast. This is episode number 71 for Sunday, October 5th, 2014. I'm Nelson DeWitt. And I'm John Younger. And Nelson had an announcement by the by the creative team behind the documentary film. Identifying Nelson Buscando a Roberto. Which someday I'm going to get him to drop. The name or the introduction? The introduction. <laughs> <laughs> Not a chance. Well, no, we just want to make sure that if you're joining us for the first time, which uh, could happen, that you know who uh, who we are. Um, anyway, as we said, I'm Nelson, that's John, and our announcement is simply that uh, we're going to change up the podcast format a little bit, and uh, we're going to switch to doing a show every other week. And the reason for this is a good one. Uh, it's basically because we're working on the film and it's kind of crunch time. So we want a little more time and energy to be devoted to that. As a result, we're going to do, uh, John and I are going to do episodes every other week. And if we have a guest or two episodes in a row, then we'll, we'll uh, release on the weekly schedule. But other than that, we're going to be putting this out every other week so that we can spend more time. Uh, getting the film done, which that I think is the default, right? <laughs> the default is working. And uh, when we have time, we are going to uh, do these. But, uh, you know, we, we've talked about this a couple of times that the, the podcast has been incredibly helpful for us just um, wrapping our heads around what we are trying to say in the film and both uh, um, individually, I would say. You know. Yeah, and getting to talk to your peers and your family, and uh, yeah, and and also people that were involved with your story and understanding elements of it that we wouldn't otherwise get exposure to. So yeah, all right. Well, with that uh, housekeeping item out of the way, uh, John, what are we talking about this week? This week we're going to talk about a current event uh, news development. In El Salvador, the discovery of a in, a Salvadoran military intelligence document from 1987 called Libro Amarillo, which is the yellow book, and uh, some work that is being done with it. Well, John, why don't you tell us a, a little bit more about what the yellow book is? And uh, we are sort of reporting this secondhand from some articles that we've been reading, and we will link directly to the articles, which go into more detail about what the Yellow Book is. So apparently this was a document that was handed in to a, a civil society organization in El Salvador. It's not named, um, probably for safety reasons. Uh, more than a year ago, and there's been a couple of news organizations that have reported on it, and just recently, like last week, there's been some analysis released and the University of Washington, who has an amazing program that seeks transparency and, and documents from El Salvador and publishes them, they, they had published an analysis of it and they had actually put the document in a Excel spreadsheet that they make available for download and you can download the Excel spreadsheet and search through it. Um, and the document essentially is, it has 2,000 names on it, close to 2,000 names, and uh, it was used 
within military intelligence circles to identify people and I think something like 43% of the names on the list have been identified as uh, having had human rights abuses committed against them, whether it was being killed, being disappeared, being tortured, detained, and this document on, on like the front of it or in the near in the beginning of it, it says the instructions are use it, make copies of the photographs, put them on your bulletin board so you know so you will know your enemies. So this was uh, bulletin board material within intelligence circles to identify people they considered subversives and single them out and uh, get them at checkpoints or, or go to their houses or, or whatever it was. And I think we should mention too that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just, uh, I guess, enemy combatants is the term. So military people, it was also uh, union activists and civil leaders, correct? Yeah. I think in and this is common across a lot of Latin American countries in this time period where whether you were a labor activist or a guerrilla, um, you were often lumped in the same category and, and ending up on one of these lists is the effective result of that. Yeah. And so we'll link, like I said, we will link to the article and you can actually download the the list and both in Excel and in the PDF, which is a scan of the photocopied material. And it's uh, kind of chilling, I guess, you know, I've been looking at it here and it's, you know, it's the names and they have, uh, I, I believe they have their, their birth name. And then they also have for some people, the pseudonym. So that would be their code name that they use in the war. And then they have which organization, which group they belong to. Along with that information, they also have a photo. In Central America, everyone is required to have a photo ID. And it's, it's a, an identification card because not everyone can drive. So it's a universal identification card. And it's basically the people's photos from that. That, that would be my understanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just several pages of these photos that are, you know, lined up in a grid and, and you can see the, the people. So as you said, it would be something that you would pass out and they're looking for uh, these individuals. So John, mm-hmm. what are, what are your first reactions to hearing about the list? And I don't know if you've gotten a chance to look at it, but just looking through some of the, the names and, and what's there. I had, search the Excel spreadsheet a little bit um, to see if it was applicable to you. And of course the documents from 1987, so it's, it's, it's not, but um, I hadn't seen the one with the pictures and I'd like to see that. This is sort of both of our first times through with it. And uh, I think what, what's fascinating in a lot of ways is that it's 2014, you know, and this document was first exposed in 2013. It seems like a document that was published and circulated, not, you know, it's not just a one-of-a-kind thing. Anyway, it's 2014, and how far, that's almost 30 years after 1987. What's that, 27 years? 27 years. Okay. 
and how little documents have come forward is kind of fascinating. And it, it's important. It's very important that something like this would come forward. I mean, there's there's a ton of evidence of what happened from the war and what the Salvadoran government did through, you know, by repressing people. Um, but well, you there mean is, there's, there's a ton of evidence that has not been released or there is information well, that evidence. could be used as evidence. Sure, there's there's people's testimonials. There's yeah. you know newspaper pictures of, of people who are missing who would later turn up as dead. There's individual things that have happened, like surrounding the de the assassination of Oscar Romero. There's documents that have been found. There's people that have testified, but but by and large, most of the military's paper trail of of what they did has not been made available. The same as, you know, the U.S. military has a lot of classified documents from back in the day, too. But this stuff just does, hasn't surfaced, and this is an important document that has surfaced. One is that the amount of time that's passed and how little has come out. Number two is that, you know, this looks a lot to me like things that happen in other countries, whether it's Vietnam or throughout Latin America, where it, there's sort of a program in place to quote-unquote, degrade the infrastructure, which is another way of saying, like, I don't, I don't know that this, this book is indicative of an assassination program, but it's, it's certainly they're identifying a lot of people that if your name ended up on this list, things, things probably didn't go well for you in El Salvador, and you had a lot to worry about. Yeah, it also, like, the connection that it brought up for me was uh, with the documentary film and book Dirty Wars, which goes into our uh, involvement in Iraq over the, you know, in the beginning of the war. And really, it, it still goes on today, um, just in a different way. But, you know, in the beginning of the war in Iraq, we heard about the black sites and the detention centers. And a lot of this uh, came about because they had these lists of individuals, you know, a hit list or a capture list. And um, one thing that the film uh, points out is if you may remember hearing in the, in the news that all the top uh, Taliban leaders got, you know, uh, different cards. So they had the 52 cards and they had the ACE. Well, I remember that with Iraq really yeah. well. Yeah, like they used to say, whenever they'd catch somebody, they'd say this guy was the Joker or this guy was the ten of ten of clubs or whatever. Right. Yeah. You know? So they had this they whole card up. system, and yeah. that eventually led. You know, I, I guess the point that the book makes is that um, once they went through, you know, there were people who whose job it were was to go through the list, and once the list was done they had to find more names to put on the list so it was this never-ending cycle of names and I, the book makes the connection with you know our, our u.s drone strike program now that we're striking uh people that are on this list not necessarily with due process but just because they're on the list anyway that's sort of a, a separate discussion but it it made you know it, it made me think of how we are trying to tie in the events in El Salvador to this larger picture, both uh, pre-war in El Salvador and post-war in El Salvador, you know, connecting it back to Vietnam and forward to Iraq. And I think that this is, um, you know, it reminded me of, of this list that, um, 
the the book Dirty Wars talked about. You know, there was um, the University of Washington. This unfinished sentences program does a little bit of analysis on the document, and they mentioned. I mean, we had the U.S. involvement in El Salvador was primarily through quote unquote advisors. It wasn't through putting fifty thousand troops on the ground to fight the war. It was it was through having advisors, and and what advisors do is usually not other than train opposition forces is usually not very well described. They do get into, they have a section of their analysis called the fingerprints of the United States and they talk about one of the Brigadier General Fred Warner and a, his, a report he issued which recommended establishing national registries and using photo IDs and fingerprints from those registries to and uh, so I think this could be an example of what U.S. Uh, I mean, if, if if his recommendations was at all implemented, and this document looks a lot like a manifestation of what's being recommended in the report, you know, this is an indication of of some of the coordination of of possibly of uh, what what the U.S. was doing in some of these countries. And An another tie-in for me is, uh, you know, my my family has said before that in the newspaper in El Salvador. Um, I think this was part of our interview that we did with my uncle Mariano, where he talks about that my mother's picture appeared in the newspaper a couple of days before she had to leave town, or maybe, maybe even a month. Month. I think it was a couple of months, actually. He said. He says. I mean, it, we're talking about the United, early 1980s, so people's yeah. memories are a little vague. But I, I think you know the timetable is anywhere from several months to at least a month, mm -hmm. right? But this picture of my mother appeared in the newspaper in El Salvador as a, a wanted criminal or someone that they were looking for. And it's, you know, very similar to the pictures that are in this report. You can see, you know, that there are these black and white ID photos and this fills in the blanks. In other words, you can take this document, look at those faces and say, ah, that's kind that must be similar to what they, they put in the newspaper at the time. And we sure. haven't been able to find that document. So um, seeing this is kind of, as you say, it, it, it is further proof that these events happened. Or it's supporting evidence, I guess. Mm -hmm. And for your family, I mean, the way they interpreted that and the way we represent it essentially is that your mother perceived she was on a death squad list, right? Mm -hmm. Now, people on death squad list, you know, maybe they'd just be brought in for questioning and detention, or maybe they'd be killed. And based on what she was doing, you know, she had good reason to believe that, that her life was in great danger. And that's when she went into hiding, you know, for, yeah. for some period of time. So, you know, this, I, I, I think, for us, what we're saying today is that this is corroborating evidence that the testimonies of individuals at the time and my family members and a, a lot of individuals, this uh, corroborates their story. And uh, you can kind of see it in, in the document how, or you can just see by looking at the document, how this type of information would be used and circulated. And I think it's, it's kind of chilling you know, that note on the front 
where they're saying, circulate this, you know, make copies so you will know your enemies. So it's this very sort of ominous kind mm -hmm. of inscription on, on the front of the document. I, I think actually there's, there's a story on the website of one man uh, who Hector Resinos, I'm probably mispronouncing that, but the, the uh, unfinished sentences website does a couple of ana analysis of a couple of individuals within this list of two thousand. Yeah. To the to the point of showing you here's what happened to some of these people. Yeah, and he says, you know, when I first saw the book, I was anxious to know what more might exist. This is um, Hector speaking, mm -hmm. and to live to see this book makes it makes you feel happy to be alive that they weren't able to kill you because the decision to eliminate you had been close so he's saying i'm i'm glad i this is uh, vindicating it shows that i that they were out to get me and i'm happy that i was able to stay alive because mm -hmm. you know i i knew my life was in danger at the time so i i think it's pretty powerful stuff yeah I don't mean to sound out of perspective with it, but it is exciting that the document has come out because, you know, it's 30 years later, and, and I'm sure there's many more like it, you know. It is an important revelation because it just sort of, it, it shows on a piece of paper, you know, here's a sample of... Uh, I don't know how, maybe you just described it better than I could. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if this will lead to, like what this will lead to, if there will be um, maybe public anger is the wrong word, but some sort of, you know, demanding, you know, if, if this will be the catalyst that gets the rest of the documents opened up, that the somehow motivates people to ask more questions and to demand that the war archive records are, are opened. There may be a lot of uh, political hurdles to, to get through, but I'm just sort of wondering, you know, what is the long-term impact of, of something like this? Because obviously it's very damning, if you will, evidence against the military. And, and, uh, the, and one of the articles that we're referencing says, you know, it, it goes against everything that this document goes against everything that the military has been publicly saying for the past 30 so years, you know, that they weren't conducting these type of operations, that they didn't maintain these kind of lists. And here's evidence that they did. Uh, it's it's a tough question to answer. I mean, strange things have happened. I think in, in Guatemala, they just discovered a room with millions of documents at one point, right? Literally, just like it was a treasure trove of documentation of, of what happened during that 40-year civil war. And it's possible that a lot of records in El Salvador don't exist anymore, were destroyed. What's kind of fascinating about this is this was bulletin board material, you know, this document. And so this was not... This was not some private ledger read only among, I don't know. I, I'm speculating on stuff. We don't know what exists, you know, but. Uh, yeah, but, but I mean, but it, it was, sort of, it, it raises the, the question in your mind, whether it's valid or not. You know, if this is what they were putting on bulletin boards, 
what did they have behind closed doors, right? I, I, I mm-hmm. kind of feel, is that where you were going with it? Yes, but but uh, also seems like the source for this was it seems like you know they haven't come forward, so it's fairly anonymous, and it could have been somebody in one of these organizations that has a conscience. Or it could have just been that somebody bought a house and came across a document and turned it in, like it says. But, but the point is that, you know, there's centralized information and then it gets disseminated, and and it may not just. And people keep demanding for the military to turn over the records, and whether or not that ever happens, there's still there's still paper out there, you know, there's still documents out there. I think uh, one of the documents surrounding the Romero assassination was like found on the ground in a field one one day like additional transparency can come in a lot of different ways and it seems like this was this was not the way people would have expected you know somebody turned in a document and and uh, I don't know I hope there's more of it yeah but this, this is certainly important so I guess only time will tell to uh, see where where this uh, what becomes of this document and what it leads to, and uh, but I I think that's all the time we have today, uh, John. Any final thoughts? Anything to wrap us wrap up the show? I just encourage people to check out the links that we provide, and uh, this is our first look through. So sorry I wasn't fluent as I'd like to be about the documents, but it's important, and and hope people check it out. Yeah, well, maybe we can do a follow-up episode and, and actually get someone who worked on the document on the show to talk about it. So That would be yeah. great. All right. Well, thank you for listening, and uh, we will see you probably in two weeks and maybe in one. Until next time, <laughs> we'll see you later. Bye. Bye.